Hour number two, Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. If you missed hour one of the program, well, uh, I guess we were called out earlier today. And uh, we took that opportunity to try to share the facts with everybody. It was a uh, fact-finding mission <laughs> for all of us. We learn new things and we check facts. Yes. Um, I, I did get one tweet. Being Just like, one? Yeah. Well, one of many. Um, <laughs> my mentions haven't stopped. Man, my mentions have just been uh, all over the place. Uh, It said, you talked about Chicago, St. Louis, Detroit, and Washington adding. Uh, We just mentioned St. Louis and Washington adding. Which one of those teams traded a first rounder? The Washington Capitals traded a first rounder Mm -hmm. for Rasmus Sandin, who does have a goal for them tonight and uh, has, I think, 14 points in 17 games as a capital coming into tonight's game as well, so... He's been uh, he's been pretty good for them. Not bad, not bad, not bad at all. But uh, we'll put that to rest for now. If you missed the first hour of the show, you can go and check it out. Available now on your favorite podcatcher. Let's bring in our next guest. It is Sportsnet's Sam Cosentino joining us to go through his April prospect rankings. What's happening, Kuji? Hey, <laughs> uh, we're we're all right, man. Final game of the season for the Vancouver Canucks, and uh, then we're getting ready for uh, for some playoff hockey here. So it should be pretty good. But also looking ahead to the draft, as you know, now that uh, you know the Canucks look to be setting in on a top ten selection. And this draft, Sammy, when we when we've talked about it, when we've looked at it, you know, we we see the the first three guys, of course, and could probably throw Mitchkoff into the the top four at least from a talent perspective. After that, it seems like uh, there's going to be a lot of variance in how teams think about the prospects beyond that top that top four. It's it's probably going to come down to like characters or some intangible thing because, like, essentially, once you get from four to ten, you're probably looking at one d-man Reinbacker, and you're probably looking at a lot of very similar forwards that are a little bit on the smaller side super skilled players all decent skaters and so at that point what's what's your you know your, the factor that differentiates one from the other it's going to be the intangible so it's going to be the background information you know are the parents tall um is there a brother that plays is there hockey in the bloodlines um, what's the school teacher or the billet say about the young man? What's the trainer say about the young man? So some of that deep dive stuff that uh, is being done by scouts on a regular basis and more so now than ever will probably be the differentiating factor between what you would see between picks, let's say, 5 through 10. So that obviously would include the, the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the big questions too ultimately here is, how does the top four shake out, right? Because I think we're very clear on the top three. I don't think anything's going to happen to change Leo Carlson, Fantilli, and obviously Connor Bedard. The question does come down to where Mitchkov goes. Because I think in terms of who rises, who goes down, how big of a factor is he in terms of essentially what happens outside the top three to four here? Well, he's really he's really the guy to watch. And honestly, like I don't I don't even like talking about it with the with the recent passing of his dad and mm-hmm. and what seems to be some mysterious circumstances surrounding that death. Um, it's, 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 it's honestly, it's really a difficult 
situation to talk about because anything relating to his draft position in in regards to what's happened to the young man is is really it's really secondary. Mm-hmm. So if if we're just talking from a straight hockey perspective, you know, I'm looking at one team and that's the Washington Capitals that I think would have probably carte blanche to um to work with Matt Fay Mitchkoff in terms of the contract, in terms of the geopolitical situation, in terms of um, the complications that uh, would arise from him uh, having to uh, process the, the passing of his father. So, you know, obviously this Ovechkin is, is, is the conduit there. Um, we've seen over the years a lot of players from Russia have success with the Washington Capitals. Um, Ovechkin's going to be there and no one until he breaks the record. And, and so I even look at their pick last year with Ivan Mirstachenko uh, as someone they felt comfortable taking in, in a political climate that was very much similar to what it is now. So, again, from a, from a pure talent, just looking at a hockey player perspective, he deserves to be in the conversation in the top three and top four. But there are so many mitigating factors, and the one I do not want to just kind of toss aside as a factor is obviously the mm-hmm. passing of his dad and how the young man processes that. That's 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 a major, major life-changing event for for a kid 17, 18 years old. So I honestly, I have no idea, no sense of feeling i mean i've heard some rumors and i would not want to expand upon those rumors um on a number of topics surrounding the young man um but taken from a pure hockey talent perspective he deserves to be in that top four conversation there is no question when uh when you when you look at um Fantilli and, and, and Carlson right now you have Fantilli ranked as uh, second behind Connor Bedard of course but um it, it does feel like uh, two and three is going to come down to, or the, the number two overall pick is coming down to the, one of those two players. Uh, how have you decided to have Fantilli ahead of Carlson? Well, I think he, he looks more like a, like a true center to me. And I think that position is harder to draft. I think size at that position is obviously at a premium. So that's probably what puts Carlson ahead. Now, if I look at Tim Stutzler when he was drafted, you know, there was a lot of the conversation about, whether Stutzla would be a guy who down the road could play center. I think we're pretty understanding of how that situation has worked out. There are, has been some conversation about Carlson also being that guy. And again, because he's 6'3", 190 pounds, you'd love to have the ability for him to be able to play center. And of course, the added value that comes along with that. Having said that, he's spent most of the year on the wing. When he does go down and play with his peer group, there are uh, times where he's played center and played well at the position but as an shl guy he's a winger so for me that's you know without a fantilli he's a center through and through and that's that's what he's going to going to be um in the national hockey league carlson it may turn out that way but it's a little bit more questionable than what it would be for for fantilli fantilli it's it's pretty clear and so for me that's that's the difference that's the the differentiating factor for me when you look at Leo Carlson, what could be the thing that prevents him from being, say, that top-end center? or And what is the thing that you think can really make him that top-end center? Right. So 
I think he's a really intelligent player, and I think he's a really gifted playmaker. Mm-hmm. And he probably leans a little bit more towards the the distribution side uh, than the scoring side. So those attributes alone would, you know, would would play well at center. Size plays both at wing and center. National Hockey League teams value that size down the middle of the ice. So in terms of face-off uh, efficiency. That's something that a young player comes in the league and plays center right away is always challenged to do. And I think about Cole Sillinger in Columbus, like decent last year, but still probably in that 43, 44% range. You want, you know, your top two C's to be operating at the very least at 50% face-off efficiency. I can't speak to, and I haven't been able to study enough video in terms of his face-off prowess. But I do think that that changes immensely once you get to the National Hockey League and you have coaches who've played in North America where the rules are slightly different, where the uh, where it's called slightly differently than what it would be, you know, for example, in the SHL or in international hockey for that matter. Um, so, again, the size plays at both areas of the ice. The playmaking probably is a little bit more suited towards being a, a centerman than a winger. But the guy can score a little bit too, and we, and we can't discount that. Um, and at that point, you're looking at what team does he come into? How are they equipped at center ice? Um, you know, I, I think for a player like Carlson, you're probably going to want to start him in the National Hockey League on the wing anyways. And so the center consideration is something that you would project two to three years down the road, kind of like, uh, you know, the projections they had for Stutzla in his draft year. Uh, but either way, you're getting an unbelievable player. I, I, you know, as you guys know, you know, there's there's additional value for center icemen, and there's added value on top of that for guys who are big who play that position. Yeah, and uh, well, we've seen too in, in recent years, you know, guys that uh, you know or you have a good feeling are going to play center, they end up going in the top 10, they end up going a little bit higher. We see that too with right shot defensemen, and that's kind of, yep. that's kind of been the feeling with Reinbacher. You know, he, he started lower down first round draft boards and we got early in the season, and now you look around and it doesn't seem like this. There's there's any chance of this guy falling out of the top ten right now. I don't think so. And part of the reason is is because this this draft class, at least the higher end of it, is is void of of that high end defenseman. And as you talked about, the right shot thing plays again six two hundred eighty seven pounds right now. That plays the fact that he's played in a really good pro league in Switzerland. Plays the fact that as a young man he kind of took the road of Marco Rossi, who was Austrian born and move to Switzerland to be able to increase his level of competition. You like that, that there's some, you know, adversity or some hardness to him for having done that. But the guy shoots it a ton. He can play in the power play. He's on the PK for Cloten. He plays roughly 22 minutes a game. Like, they're, they're, at that point, there's really nothing to like. Having said all that, because we're void of that high-end defenseman, he probably has additional value. And in a draft class where you might see the normal – eight to, to 10 D man. I think in this situation, you're seeing fewer than that. And as a result of that, he has added value because listen, when you get down into that range, that eight to 10 range, the super high end guys are gone. And now you can blend uh, best player with positional need and positional need in the right shot defense. There's not a team in the league that, that doesn't want that, that doesn't want to draft that. Um, that doesn't want to develop it because the cost of finding that player either at the trade deadline or via free agency is usually quite prohibitive. 
Now, on the lower end a little bit, when I say lower end, I don't necessarily mean uh, much farther down because of where the Canucks might be picking. Maybe it's 10th, maybe it's 11th, hopefully more in the 8-9 range unless they get some of that luck in the draft lottery. When you look at that next tier where the Canucks find themselves, Sam, what do you make of that group of players? And what do you think the upside could be? Are we talking about guys, second pair of D-men, potentially if they take a Ryan Bacher or Palika, or are we talking about, yep. you know, second line centerman? Like, is there somebody there that could pop potentially you think in that range? Well, I think a really interesting guy in that, in that group, and, and he's been pushed down a little bit on my list is, is Braden Yager mm-hmm. uh, out of Moose Jaw, you know, 30 plus goal scorer in a 16 year old year with the Warriors comes back this year as uh making a conscious attempt to be more of a playmaker. The assists are more than the goals uh, in this case last year, but, but his greatest asset is his ability to shoot the puck and score. So for that reason, it does have some scouts concerned. And while you're happy that he's working on another side of his game, you also don't want to mitigate his greatest asset, his ability to shoot the puck, his ability to score. Um, you know, the other question behind Jaeger, is he going to be a guy that's going to be able to drive play? And if I'm taking someone in the top 10, I want to play driver, not necessarily a play supporter. And I do think there's some question marks in terms of Braden's game about his ability to be a play driver, uh, where he's probably uh, more uh, pigeonholed right now as a, as a play supporter. So he w- he's an interesting guy, though, because he's got really good track record. You know, he's a great skater. Uh, that goal scoring does have a little bit of a history. He's got some international uh, competition history as well, which always seems to bode well when it comes to the draft. For me, though, I had him pretty comfortably in that top seven, um, you know, for most of the rankings this year. Uh, but just in talking to some scouts and, and observing, uh, you know, what's happened to him over the course of this year, he's been bumped down a little bit. So he's a really interesting guy for me, uh, would be Braden Yager. I think when you're looking at a guy like Oliver Moore, center iceman, super, super speedy, um, and you know, and thinking about the Canucks and, and where they want to take their game in terms of talk at adding, you know, wanting to utilize skill, wanting to play fast, play quicker, five guys in the picture, that sort of thing. Oliver Moore has had a really good year at the U.S. Under-18 program, basically in a second-line role, so he's not getting all the, the top, top minutes, um, but still about a point and a third, point and a half per game with a really good U.S. under-18 program team and the ability to show off even more when we get to Switzerland for the start of the under-18 tournament. So he's going to be a pretty interesting guy for me to watch. Um, I have him a little bit lower than that right now, but still a guy that's probably somewhere in that range and maybe someone that I have slightly uh, undervalued, probably more for the fact that I think pretty highly of the the U.S. uh, under-18 program guys that I have slotted ahead of them. So uh, those would be two names that I'd be thinking about. Yeah, and, and and just looking at your list here, you got Benson six, Barlow at seven, Leonard at at eight, and even uh, you know the Giants player Samuel Hanzik uh, there at, at at ten, and all players that you know uh, you have them listed as wingers. I know they've played a little bit of center. Uh, do, do you see those players you know trending more towards moving to the wing uh, when they get to uh, the NHL? Benson will be a fascinating guy, probably just a little bit too small. To, to play the center yeah. ice position. Hansik for me, is a, he's a really, really fascinating guy. Like, I was already impressed with his play. It, it sucked that he got hurt, you know, in the second uh, game at the World Juniors because I would have really loved to have seen. I mean, if he's, listen, if he's healthy, maybe the path for Canada is a little different because Slovakia is that much better with him in the lineup. 
So I would have loved to have seen that happen. Unfortunately, it didn't. And some of those injury issues plagued him into the second half, including missing the, the CHL-NHL top prospects game in Langley, which was his home ice. Fortunate for me, just by happenstance, I, I ran into him in the, in the hallway of the hotel where we were doing interviews and just kind of started an informal chat with him. And I was so impressed that I walked away saying, this guy is just loaded with character. And then I did a little bit more background on him, spoke to some of the people in the, in the Giants organization um, who had wonderful things to say about the young man. But I think when you're looking at a guy that, that kind of comes pro-ready, he's probably that guy. And so if you're the Vancouver Canucks, hey, if he's a winger, it's okay. He's got some size. He can score a little bit. He can lean on people a little bit. International experience, really good. So a lot of boxes to check if you're thinking that Vancouver's in that 10 range. And you know what? I, I think right now I probably have Hansik a little bit higher than, than most people. So if you're talking about you know Vancouver potentially slipping into that 12-13 range, Hansik is a guy who may very well be, uh, be available there. And wouldn't that be kind of a cool situation where you know, he ends up playing for the Giants and ultimately gets picked by, uh, you know, by the Vancouver Canucks? That'd be kind of cool. Sammy, we always appreciate your insights. Thanks for this. Okay, guys, take care. Thanks a lot. Uh, there is uh, Sam Cosentino, one of the best in the business. Cugino, Sam Cosentino. Yes. Actual. Cugino. Actual cousin. cousin. Yeah. Uh, a little bit down the line, but actual cousin. Uh, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here on, uh, on Canuck Central. You know, the draft is uh, it, going to be fascinating. You know, We are watching to see where the Canucks will end up. The Washington Capitals are ahead of the Devils 4-1. Rasmus Sandin has scored in the game. Um, and Alex Ovechkin is playing in tonight's matchup as well for the Washington Capitals. Mm-hmm. The Detroit Red Wings trail the Tampa Bay Lightning one nothing as they are midway through the second period. Dylan Larkin in the lineup for Detroit. But uh, they do trail that one. What the scenario is, the Canucks need both of those teams to win. And then they would have to lose to the Arizona Coyotes tonight in order to land with the eighth best lottery odds Mm -hmm. at season's end. Yeah, and it could happen. Yep, it could happen uh, the way things are going. And we'll see ultimately if the Red Wings can get something out of this game. They need to get at least a point against the Washington, I mean, mm-hmm. against the Tampa Bay Lightning as well for it to happen. Vancouver has to lose outright. And it'd be nice. Yeah. It'd be nice. Just ha- if they can finish eighth worst mm-hmm. record. And even if you drop a point or down or two or you don't get the draft lottery luck, I think it just puts you in a better position to pick from that second tier of players that can be really strong. You can still get a really good player at 10 and 11. Obviously, still maybe the guy you, you're trying to get. but Well, uh, you might have your, your pick, right, of maybe Reinbacher is still available there at, uh, at 8. And there's just so many like really strong players in this draft after that first four. That second tier goes and runs pretty deep. So... You know, the higher you can get in it, uh, obviously, for the better if you are the Vancouver Canucks or otherwise. And we've looked at this draft, and we're going to continue to break it down as we go. But I really am curious because the top 10 is usually pretty fascinating. And I don't know – like, I don't think Reinbacher 
And I even wonder if Sandine Pelica as well ends up going in the top 10, just because they're both right shot D. And like, one of uh, them, will, I think one will. Yeah. I think one does. I mean, potentially two, but the buzz seems to be one's going to move up, and it's probably Ryan Bacher. Yeah. There's always one that moves up, yeah. right? It and, seems to be the guy. And I wonder about the guys that, um, you know, there's a, a stronger confidence or a bigger level of confidence that they are going to play center at the next level if they get bumped into that top 10 mm -hmm. as well, Sat. Because we saw, certainly in last year's draft, guys that play center or D, they get bumped up. And, you know, after Slavkovsky, I don't think another winger was really taken until the Canucks took... Uh, until the Canucks took Lekka Ramaki. Yeah, no, and I think that's what always happens, right? Some of those guys go down, and you're right. I mean, if you look at this draft class, a lot of guys who are projected to be centers and D-men, Yeah. right? And does that push the wingers down, despite the fact a lot of those wingers are super talented? A couple of the wingers, I still, and Mitchkov, obviously a lot going on with the situation, but I'd say all things being equal, I still run up and take him if he's there. Yeah. And I think Zach Benson, if he's going to be a, even if he's a winger, I think he's a guy that's so talented. If he's there at eight or nine, he may mm -hmm. not even be there that it might be too good to pass out despite not having the positional preference. Uh, a lot to break down still with this draft, and uh, we definitely will as we continue to get closer to it. May 8th is the draft lottery. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central.